0: Welcome to the MaxMuth Theater and Performance Podcast. This is our year-end extravaganza episode when all of our most frequent contributors gather to discuss the year that was, the best and the worst. This is the second half of our two-part year-end episode, and we take listener questions. Enjoy the show. Well, you're on deck for the first question. What's the first question?
1: Are we doing all of them?
0: Oops, sorry. Well, now we have to start over. Okay, sorry. Is no, it because I at the table? Yes. <laughs> sorry.
2: Pulled a jack there, just smacking the table Wait, around.
3: Pulled a jack? I am, <laughs> do you see how far from the table I am? And he
2: has a lot of cores around
1: him. And he has very
3: tiny I limbs. I do. <laughs> I can't <laughs> even, <laughs> look, look at that. That's wingspan. That's what, I, that's what I'm working with.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. We're redoing intros. Oh. pick up. <laughs> pick, pick up Hi, mind. David. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Liz. I'm Liz. I'm back again. <laughs> I'm Lindsay from Max Moon. No, you actually have to have that. Now <laughs> we're <into> back. <laughs> <laughs>
1: back, because- back again. Liz is back.
0: This is Fuck a whole yeah, great different Liz. episode released one week later. <laughs> They've forgotten who you are and how to identify your voice.
1: Quick poll, listeners: How many of you are listening to Max Move for the very first time this it week?
4: It
0: doesn't matter. <laughs> so, uh, you know what? People have said on Twitter that
2: this was their intro to Maxima. Was the a our, lot of people our year-end review at, from it's the last the most year? Most popular so. episode.
0: Awesome. Every year. So sure. behave. All righty.
1: <laughs> Too late for that. That ship has sailed.
0: <laughs> well, now the liquor's really setting <laughs> in.
1: So. I have had nothing drink, but a lot of sugar.
0: <laughs> same, same. Jack, who are you?
1: My name's Jack, <laughs> and
3: I work at Joseph Papp Public Theater, New York Shakespeare Festival.
1: Whose views do you have?
3: Uh, uh, several, but today I represent merely my own views and not those of my employer.
5: Hi, I'm Deep Tran, Associate Editor at American Theater Magazine, and I really cannot believe that many people want to listen to us talk. That's like kind of amazing.
0: There are tens of people that listen to this. <laughs>
5: yeah. And scary at the same time. Jose.
6: I'm Jose. So it leads from stage, buddy. And that's because we all have sexy voices deep. So they all want to listen to us.
0: Jose, sexist yeah. of all voices. <laughs> Probably. Yeah.
6: Do I have to reintroduce myself?
0: Yes, David, you do. <laughs> Who are you? I thought I went
1: first. Uh, this is David Levy. And by the time you listen to this, I should hopefully have a new article out in everythingsondheim.com. Hopefully.
0: Lovely.
2: I'm Liz, and I wish I could just keep the song that David sang for me earlier.
1: You can sing it again. I'm back back, back again. again. Yeah. Liz That's is back. Fuck yeah, great, great please. Thank you, David.
0: <laughs> cool. And I'm Lizzie. <laughs> That's the word you chose? I'm never uh, sitting next to Liz <laughs> <team>. <laughs> <laughs> Jose is
5: gonna sing. Apparently, it's just the rest of us. No, no, no he's going to. End, I'm gonna make it happen finale.
3: at the end of this. Jose is gonna sing in the style of Roger McDonald. I will
5: drink more. Drink more sparkling pink prosecco.
3: Remember when
1: Jack used to do impressions?
3: Oh yeah, <laughs>
5: Stephen Pasquale.
0: Might mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we some of
3: uh, that later? <laughs> he hasn't done a show this year that I can. Oh, I didn't see Robert Rygram, so I don't. I can't. Um, but yeah, you know, if called upon, I will serve.
0: The first question of our listener questions is a repeat that we do every year from a listener and a past contributor at times, the annual honorary Isaac Butler, a.k.a. on Twitter, at Parabasis question, what performer performance this year moved your Kinsey number? Who wants to start? I got it. Liz. (laughs) I got this.
2: The entire cast of Men on Boats. Oh, Oh, Mm. great answer. Yeah, all of them. I can't even pick one. All of them. End I story. Said you
0: closed down the conversation because <laughs> <You did>, <laughs> everyone agrees.
3: No argument
1: at all. Yeah, I didn't see it.
0: Oh, you didn't? I, no, no, I don't, and
1: I don't even have a good answer no. for this.
0: Wait, this is not devolving into an erratic order. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was I went And now? Dave oh no, was... oh, we're going. We went park right.
1: We count- right,
6: went count- count- first so one. we car- so, so, so. so we're doing like street car. Street car. We just right. street it. Okay,
2: cool. Switched rotation. Okay, cool.
6: Uh, so it's my turn? Okay, so that's great, because actually Gillian Anderson Streetcar is one of my answers. Like, oh my god, those heels. Wow.
4: Ugh.
6: Wow. And the other one is Janet McTeer in Dangerous the Aces, because if she told me to go burn down, like, I don't know, like a box full of puppies... I would, I would, I would do anything she asked me to do.
5: She's amazing. I will be She's discussing so her more later. Cool. <laughs> oh, well, when you said Janet McTeer, I, I thought I thought you were going to say the Tempest. I mean, sorry, not the Tempest. The um, Taming of the Shrew. Taming of the yeah. Shrew. She was also yeah.
0: great in that. She yeah. was
1: creepy. Yeah, but the whole that yeah, production but... was not great. So yeah. as I'm looking at Jack yeah. accusatorily.
4: It's all your right, fault, <laughs> Jack. This
0: personal. Don't make it personal. <laughs> it's not his fault. <laughs> we need to be able to speak freely here. I feel
5: like Janet McTeer as a man, Jose would just be your t- would be your
6: type. I feel like
0: is mm-hmm. looking quizzical like yeah because i no, maybe you need to get to know each other better yeah. i'm thinking
6: albert knobs and no. <laughs> <laughs> no
0: okay what's your answer deep okay so i have a type when it comes to
5: women that i have girl crushes on it's usually like long long-limbed very lanky skinny you know m- model-esque and keniza shawl was that for me this year because mm-hmm. i saw her in really and then i saw it at um Abrams art center and then the new jackie stables Drury drew, play and then i saw her again in um duot yes at soho rep and even she's just so gorgeous and so my type and even when she's wearing like a hideously colored suit suit that isn't flattering on anyone like she makes it work i'm just like oh my god i i still would even if you're wearing that so mm-hmm. oh, you're just she's just so beautiful And I really like tall women. I think it's because of my height issues.
3: (laughs) COSIGN. I have one that was just sort of in the moment and one that is everlasting from this year. Uh, The the, In the moment was uh, I saw David Oyelowo with his shirt off and stuff (laughs) happened (laughs) to me that I did not predict. And so I that was that was in the moment though I don't I don't think he's for me my the my, my number one he's a
5: really snazzy dresser though incredibly
3: snazzy dresser yeah
5: he has great fashion taste so I absolutely
3: feel like... no I feel like that would be like my but I so would. but after after David and I parted ways which is inevitable <laughs> I would go back to my number one I I've wanted to say this to him because he's worked in my building a number of times uh, is a, a young actor named Chris Livingston who if anybody has seen party people at the public theater recently he is the the protagonist of it he's been Ooh. in a number of shows for us uh, and uh, and and also around new york and i love him so much and i have such a deep and abiding crush on him and i want i'm saying that because i want him to listen to this like when this <laughs> when this drops i'm gonna send him the is link without Twitter? context no i'm just gonna email him the link because i want him to know <laughs> that w- sitting here in your apartment not in a professional capacity that I love him very much and I find him very attractive. And that is, um, that's, that's the way I choose to uh, make my affections known
5: and him, him that black beret though.
3: Yo, yo, that's the thing though. That, I saw him when he got his hair cut for the show. Like, it was like the first day of rehearsal. And I saw, hey, Chris. And I saw his hair in my, in my mind. And I went, whoa. <laughs> like, I actually I went and I was like, I wanted to speak on it. And then I, I didn't have the courage. So now I'm telling you, like, keep, please, the show's closing soon, but keep the hair, Chris.
1: Just for me. <laughs>
0: I wish I didn't have to follow that. <laughs>
1: I think you should paste in the I'm quote great. from three years ago where you go, "Jack's not gay."
0: <laughs> oh yeah, right. It's one of the funniest moments ever on the
5: podcast. <laughs> right, I just realized that right now. <laughs> okay, it's all It's a whole a thing. It's a whole really. thing. I'm sorry. I should not stereotype men who like theater. Right.
0: That's my fault. I'm officially at the age where. Finding men in their 20s attractive. It
1: gets creepy, right?
0: It gets creepy, and it's totally not clear whether if there's like a sexual component or it's just a motherly component. And so, the person I'm going to name, I, I don't know. It just doesn't feel totally appropriate, but I'm saying it anyway. And it's Peter Mark Kendall, who is best known on the theater scene in New York for being the lead in Sam Hunter's play, The Harvest.
4: Oh, But
0: where I first encountered him this year was at a reading at Primary Stages Fresh Ink series in a play called The Yes Ready Within by Matt Smart. And he played a person in the during the Vietnam War era who had fled to Canada to avoid the draft and then returned to his hometown in Minnesota to see a woman that he had known in high school. And Peter Mark Kendall's like a very sort of fresh-faced young person who I think plays characters younger than his actual age. And after I saw him in this reading, I, I was just drawn to him and I, you know, engaged in a sort of, like, Google searching cor- kind of endeavor. And <laughs> he's sort of like a... it's kind of like a wounded puppy in that play. I just really <laughs> wanted to care for him. Yeah. <laughs> Very similar, actually, to the character he plays in The Harvest, which I also really love that play. So, anyway, if you have ever seen The Americans or Chicago Med, he plays small roles on those TV shows. If you're curious about who I'm talking about. But he's just a tremendous actor who i find extremely appealing on stage he's re- i don't know i think he's fantastic he's kind of like never mind go on deep what were you <laughs> gonna say no i i thought when we
5: were talking about kinsey scale i thought people that i i mean i i thought if you're straight like you know talk about people of the same sex if you're gay talk what about- do you
0: think i am oh i did Wait a minute.
5: (laughs) Oh! Blammo! (laughs) I'm learning so much about you guys. Yeah, no,
3: it's everything's, everything is, yeah, this is, yeah, here we are. I'm going to high-five Lindsay because I feel like it's appropriate.
5: No, no, I feel
2: like
0: we've had conversations
5: about men.
2: Yeah. that's your
0: orientation Utah. <laughs> yeah maybe we should have maybe that's how our introduction because oh, people don't know us yeah. Yeah. what's your sexual yeah. orientation mine is queer so
4: <laughs> yeah
0: okay <laughs> i'm so sorry for talking about men in front of you <laughs> <laughs> i'm always up for talking about men i have dated men
4: oh, okay. okay there are
0: people in the theater community who are male who i'd be interested in dating yeah, because we've had that conversation. now. Yeah, yeah. I well, she just did. May date, I recommend Chris Livingston?
4: My, my <laughs> dominant dating
0: history is women. Yeah, wow. mine too. This is getting really deep.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Next question. <sighs>
1: no, Liz is not go she? history.
0: Yeah, I did. I said oh. the entire cast of Middlemores, oh, no, right, right, and right. Oh. I agreed with that. For that sure. made me way more gay. <laughs> yeah. <yes.
4: laughs>
0: okay, I want to know a throuple. <laughs> Okay, next question. It's like question. A 13-uple. There's I want a to know the... Okay, next question. <laughs> we really like this question. Let's keep D- talking. Deep breath. Come on. I want to know the biggest disconnect you experienced between the marketing for a show, whether it was a tagline, a review, a production photo, artwork, et cetera, you knew nothing about, and then actually seeing the show. David.
1: War by Brandon Jacob Jenkins. Oh, interesting. And I actually think we might have talked about this when we talked about it on the podcast, but the poster art was... A picture of a gorilla wearing a World War One German helmet. Uh and the show is a family drama of you know in and around a hospital room that also has some gorillas and also has some Germans and also has some war, but not World War One. Uh but I, I feel like the the poster artwork really told you nothing about what the show was gonna be about. And the I don't remember specifically what the marketing copy was, but I remember the blur being like Very vague, which I think is intentional with his plays always because there's usually an element of surprise and discovery. But it was... I mean, I liked that play a lot, but I felt like what I saw had absolutely nothing to do with the way
6: it was marketed. Jose? So I'm about to be very petty, and I apologize because this is not me at all. But my biggest disconnect was with the talk everlasting art, which I thought was really ugly. I thought it was really... I mean, I I thought it was was
1: beautiful.
6: I thought it was really like, I don't know, like, God, I don't want to use this word. I'm sorry to whoever designed it. I thought it was really tacky. And then I showed up to the show being like, oh, this is just the artwork for the stuff. Like, I'm sure the show's not going to be that. And it was. So I guess it wasn't a disconnect because they were telling me what I would be getting (laughs) when I went to theater. (laughs) But the disconnect was me expecting. Because let's be honest, most, like, art for, like, theater is not that good most of the time. Like posters mm-hmm. are very like generic,
1: like especially like in the last several years, I feel like the
6: and especially like the Broadway ones. Like, yeah. It's like yeah. you go they more yeah. and more generic. Yeah, they look like Vogue covers, and then you show up, and like I don't know, like the characters are like wearing like old age makeup and like wigs and like destroyed clothes. But on uh, the playbill, they look like like stars. So yeah, that's it.
5: Do you? Um. I I kind of have to say I don't really look at posters very much because most of them aren't very good, and also I don't really look at marketing because I usually just get press releases. So I need to pass this question, and also I haven't seen any good post art. So, yeah.
3: I um, this is weird because I there's one show that I intentionally avoided um, a lot of marketing materials and things, but 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 the marketing materials were also really good at obfuscating what this show was going to be, and it was uh, the Underground Railroad game uh, at Ars Nova, and uh, because th- the advertisement was actually you know somewhat accurate, it is based on one of the crater performers' experience with this fucked up game in an elementary school, um, or you know having known about it, and uh, the show was indescri... I mean, it was unbelievable, and and it was the kind of. It was a positive disconnect. It's so rare that I go into a show that I know absolutely nothing about, and I willfully just blocked it out for Underground Railroad Game, and I'm so glad I did, and I wish more theater, I wish more theater did do a bait and switch, or, you know, in their marketing, I wish there was there was more obfuscation um, because a lot of times you go, you know, you read a marketing blurb and it says like, "Oh, this is what the show's gonna kind of be like," and but it's kind of still has that cliffhanger ending because they want you to buy a ticket. And Then you go and you're like, "Oh, that's just what you described."
1: Wait till he finds out about all the people of color in Hamilton. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, then Fun Home is uh, as a lesbian protagonist. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I I like bait and switch, and that
6: was the best uh, bait and switch for me. Uh, but yeah, I like the wooden ruler was which was like the best prop they gave out at any performance okay. I think yeah like Eight. the gum and the wooden rulers at yeah. the end
0: they gave out wooden rulers at the performance you saw? I got one, and I was
6: like, I was spanking everyone on my Man. way out.
0: Oh,
6: wow. I didn't get one. I
5: didn't, I didn't get one. one, and I was at the same performance.
6: Well, I always bring and my own spanking gum. ruler to the theater. I story. got the gum. <laughs> I got the
5: gum. I didn't get gum either. I didn't get gum. I, I got
1: a little- I was at like the toy. same performance you were at. How did you get gum, and I didn't get gum? They,
3: you know what it was? I went back in. They they, they uh, were a little late on the giving out gums. So, like, the oh. first like 20 people that left didn't get gum, and then they were like, oh, right, the gum, and then they handed out the gum. <laughs> That's my story.
5: The one, the one you, you you said the wooden ruler thing, Jose, it made me think of the um that the scene on the ground railroad game where, where Scott Shepard is completely naked and she's like playing with his penis with the ruler. Yeah. Yep. Okay.
3: That's what that was. <laughs> I think that's what I was gesturing at. In my head. They didn't. That, but that put it this way. That wasn't the poster, and that's <laughs> why, that was why not I the was. Poster. Yeah. No, that was not the but poster. Now Should I have think been wooden
5: ruler. I just think of that. So thanks for that, guys.
0: Like Deep, I don't pay a lot of attention to marketing materials. So I don't have a specific answer for this question. But my generic answer is that theater companies that produce whole seasons where they design each show poster to be very similar. I'm thinking of like the Signature Theater, the Public Theater. Roundabout does that. The Roundabout. Mm. It makes your shows totally indistinguishable and I can't parse them and it does nothing to attract me to any of them so I wish they would stop doing that I can see that you need to have a unified design but you also need to have something that really distinguishes each show what it's about what its themes are because when it comes to the signature I just have no idea how to distinguish one show from another indeed in a past episode of this podcast I told a story about buying tickets to the wrong show at that theater because the black you know background white font is the same on every single show page and i can't even tell them apart
1: i can't even picture what the signature marketing looks like
0: it's very bland Mm.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. well my first answer is been on boats because if you told me that premise and didn't tell me that it was all women you know production team writing team and cast i would have been on why why do i want to go see this (laughs) show about a bunch of guys discovering the grand canyon (laughs) sounds boring (laughs) um (laughs) But then once I learned about the creative team, I was like, oh, this might be more interesting than I'm getting it, giving it credit for. Uh, but I also, mainly because I don't have any other place to shout it out, is Stupid Fucking Bird. I think the, the putting it at the Pearl, which normally does a lot of classics, was sort of an odd place. It's not I don't go there as often because I go, I don't need to see another production of a classic play done classically. And then when they said it was a sort of a modern adaptation – I was a little more interested, but it really exploded the story in an interesting way to where it didn't. It wasn't a Chekhov adaptation after all, really. And I honestly, I wish the Pearl would do more like that and sort of expand their repertoire and what they classify as a classic play, because I had a lot of fun at that show.
1: Just one more. The Wolves has no wolves. <laughs> the Crucible no wolves on the poster, has a wolf. Has a wolf. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> all, all good points. If you're looking for wolves, <laughs> looking see the
1: crucible. We're going to have to do wolves, a whole episode the crucible's not closed, to. so you're yeah. out of luck. Sorry.
0: <laughs> okay, Jose, what was the worst case of theater FOMO you suffered this year?
6: The Taylor Mac marathon. Like, that day purposely, I stayed off Twitter just so I wouldn't know what you and Jack were saying because I was, like, crying in my room.
4: <laughs>
5: <laughs> Deep. I second that Taylor Mac Marathon, and then Taylor made me feel very bad for not going on Twitter. Oh. <laughs> I
3: don't know um, if uh, if there's anything in particular that I feel that I really missed out on, that I'm, it's like jumping out at me. I think, well, just because I probably will miss it, just because I know how I am, I will, I'm will. i predicting that I will have future FOMO for
1: falsettos. mmm. Fix that. You have time. Do it. Do it. Do it. I
3: know. I know. It's gonna be as good. I'm like. I'm gonna get to it. You and Lindsay get tickets together. I,
5: <laughs> yeah. I still haven't seen it either. I can't, I missed the press dates. Mine is shuffle along. Close to early.
2: Tragedy. Oh, same.
5: Wish I'd seen it.
2: Yeah, shuffle along and Taylor Mac.
1: So like Taylor Mac also, and I have on the Sweet Charity because I've basically been priced out of it. Um, but also. There's a lot of stuff happening outside of New York that I've felt FOMO about. Uh, You know, I'm from Boston. I keep an eye on the Boston theater scene. Uh, Right now, there's a production of Scottsboro Boys there that did so well, they're actually bringing it back for an extra month, which I I still have never seen that show, and I'm really thinking about, can I make a trip to go up there? But I'm usually very unsuccessful at planning trips around theater. So uh, we'll see, but like, I'm feeling a lot of FOMO about Boston theater this year.
0: Okay, what show do you wish more audiences had a chance to see deep?
5: Um, I'm going to bring up something that Jose brought up last episode, I guess by this point, uh, which, is, which was the West Side Story at Carnegie Hall in the knock, at the Knockdown Center in, in Queens, which, by the way, is really hard to get to because it's in Ridgewood. I'm sorry, you
1: can't complain that Brooklyn's too hard because you live in Queens, and then complain when <laughs> there's an excellent production in Queens. <laughs> why, am,
5: that actually well, is a fair point. Well, the technically, rules. the only <laughs> way I can get to fucking Bridgewood is to take the L, so which, oh which kind of turns it into Brooklyn in my head. Why, why are there more theaters right outside of my apartment? That's what I'm always yeah. asking. <laughs> yeah, same. Same, actually. I would like that. Fucking people produce more in Long Island City, guys. God.
3: I'm going to go down to my local and be like do falsettos right now just do it just you guys the guy's working the grill you get in here too you're gonna you're gonna do it for him of course you know i don't say that to me um is my turn yep. uh the big one for me is runaways the extraordinary production that encores did uh, directed by that. what's that
0: no, this isn't the FOMO question. Oh, what show do you wish more audiences? Oh, had no, we'll we'll more audiences we'll
3: because oh, it, okay. so it only ran for a couple of days. Uh, Sam Pickleton directed Elizabeth Suedos' extraordinary nineteen uh, seventies musical Runaways, which was very meaningful given that she died earlier this year, and also that is just one of the greatest musicals ever. And I I had a, a, a tremendous time at it, and it was just it, it, it proved how relevant and and magical that piece still is. Um, so yeah.
0: So I interpreted this question as what show do you wish had transferred to Broadway essentially? And I have two Kentucky and skeleton crew. I believe these shows, if they were written by white men would be on Broadway. They are as important insightful and big. They could handle the size of a Broadway house as the humans and significant other, no shots at Stephen Karam and Josh Harmon. They deserve to be on Broadway, but so do Leon and Inko Winkler and Dominique Morrisso. And I think it is a tragedy that they are not there. Um, I was going to say, actually, a so show that you and I saw, Lindsay,
2: we saw Room at The Pit. We saw it on its last night, uh, and then they brought it back, but it had kind of a few scattered performances. And I feel like The Pit is starting to produce a lot of really interesting small theater with a comedy bent, and i hope that they continue that because room was such an interesting funny intersection of a lot of different types of theater uh, it was about these black men black actors who are all called in to play like drug dealer's friend on a procedural television show And they are stuck in the casting room auditioning for the same role over and over and over. So it's a little Beckett. It's a little chorus line. And it's just it was straight up lunacy at points. And it was so fun and thoughtful. And yeah, we saw it on the last day and I regretted that I couldn't tell more people to go see it. And then when it came back, it was just a bunch of scattershot performances and I couldn't go back. Um, But it was such a fun show.
1: I have on my list Underground Railroad Game, which just was one of the most surprising and powerful pieces of theater I've seen this
6: year. I think you guys already spoke to that, so I don't need to say more. I'm gonna go with a show I saw last week, and it closed yesterday. Actually, it was Josie Long's Something Better, which I usually when like random people know what I find out what I do for work. I'm usually like very diplomatic. I'm like, I'm not gonna recommend anything because taste, blah 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 blah, but everyone who's asked me what to go see this week i have been go see something better you need it like you're gonna come out of it like with hope and faith and you're not gonna want to jump off all the bridges in new york
4: so yeah like if
6: that show can play forever at least for the next four years every day two performances every day for the next four years (laughs) that'd be great right Mm
0: -hmm. okay what show in the past season would you send your best enemy to jack no can we what does that mean well, that's a good question. Yeah. I had I don't like know how to answer two it. interpretations of sure. it. One, that you have an enemy and you want to punish that person, that's so you would send answer. them to bad theater. The other being that you, being a good person, your enemy would be a bad person and needed to be redeemed. And what is the show you could send them to to teach them empathy and values? So it really
2: comes down to like what kind of villain are you? So I'm going to need can I, can I,
0: can I pass? Can I pass? Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll,
2: I'll,
3: i I'll, so I'll, I'll
0: oh gosh, I'll start. I'm starting to sound like a broken record here, but my show, because I went the empathy route, is Skeleton Crew by Dominique <laughs> um You cannot sit through this play and not be touched by it. I just think the struggles of these characters are so visceral that you walk out of that play with a heart's two sizes bigger than you have. And there's a very specific moment in that play that I love so much. And it is the monologue by Shanita, who is played by Nakia Matheson, the production at Atlantic Theater. And it's about how she derives her self-worth from her work and how it makes her feel like a strong and good person to have a job where she is making a contribution. She doesn't just want to earn a paycheck. She wants to be valuable to society and she talks about how it has affected her relationship with her father and I just think that monologue is one of the most beautiful moments I have ever ever seen on stage i've seen it three times once in a workshop once at the underground at the atlantic and once in their primary stage and it kills me every time i think it is so beautiful if you ever want to give a genuine recommendation for a monologue you should give that one (laughs) i'm (laughs) one of these days because she people ask her for monologues all the time on tumblr and she tells these hilarious stories
2: So you went the empathy route and I went the mean route Um, (laughs) Um, because I'm sending my enemy to yesterday, tomorrow, which I did just mention as one of my favorites. But also I want to baffle the hell out of someone by making them sit there and listen to someone sing yesterday with not all of the notes the same for an hour, because I think that's sort of an exquisite torture that I could give to somebody else.
1: I went the similar route, uh, and I'm sending my enemy to that Golden Girls show, which is the puppet show <laughs> Golden Girls show off Broadway, which was the worst hour and a half of my life this year.
2: And it's an hour and a half. Yeah,
1: and no intermission. There's no escape, and it's the kind of theater where like you cannot walk out without like walking across the front of the stage, no matter where you sit. Ooh. It is just oh god, it was just the worst, and and. and uh, I could go on and on about why it doesn't work and why it dishonors at the Golden Girls, but suffice it to say, if you're listening and you care about joy, stay far away.
4: Oof.
6: Okay, so I only have like a handful of enemies in real life. Ariana Grande is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> she knows why. She knows <laughs> it, yeah. Please enunciate Ariana and I will love you forever. But anyway, I also went the empathy route and I thought of my enemy I- as like, Basically everyone who voted for the GOP. So I would send all those people to go see Duat because mm-hmm. I feel that usually these people think of queer people of color as this like monsters that like manifest out of like hell or whatever. And if they saw that show, they would understand that we also were children and we also fall in love. We also grow up. We also love the same music you monsters love. Sorry. Uh, and yeah, and I would feel like they big K they,
1: Chesney fan, huh? <laughs>
6: they, they would, you know, they would. Get something out of it, I think, I hope so. I hope, yeah, they should go see it.
5: So I did a mix of both uh, empathy and punishment because, oh, well, granted, I like to think I don't have enemies, but in, in real life, but over the internet, I do. It's like all of those people who comment on my articles saying <laughs> theater, is, theater is just entertainment. It's not supposed to be political. Or it's, it's just acting so a white person can play an Asian person. Like, no, fuck you all. So, <laughs> so what I wanted to do was send them to a socially progressive show. But that has really uncomfortable moments. Just so I can punish them a little bit. So I got top three. Underground railroad game. Because, yeah, and also the ruler scene. <laughs> uh, I'll Never Love Again, that Claire Barron play at the Bushwick Star for its portrayal of young femininity, multicultural cast, and also that oral sex scene, which was oh. one of the most uncomfortable experiences <laughs> I have had I had in the theater this year. For sure.
1: <laughs> I want to know more about that.
5: <laughs> and and Revolt... revolt she said, "Revolt again by Alex Alice Birch at uh, Soho Rep, because it's also super feminist and they cut their tongues out. So that's right, yeah, they do. Nice. So really un- uncomfortable, but they they will learn something and it will make them squirm. And I want that. Yeah,
3: yeah. If I'm if my enemies are of the squeamish type, I would absolutely send them to Underground Railroad Game because." There's a collective moment that happens in the house. Even people who are like, used to seeing really outlandish shit in the theater. Like, I, I wanted them to add a sound cue, which was the door behind us locking. <laughs> <laughs> like I really wanted it because everyone has this collective moment when the first shit starts to go down in that play where everyone kind of is like,
1: oh, we're doing this. And it's such a small space. It's and they're, great. They're, yeah. Those are the bravest performers no I No leave in this
3: room. We're going to sit through this kind of thing. Um, yeah, playwright, uh, uh, one of my favorite playwrights, Antoinette Nwandu, was there the same night and she had seen it already and she was like, have you seen this yet? Have you heard anything? But I was like, no. She goes, oh, I'm excited to see what you do. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like what is about to happen to me? Um, but the, the real answer, and this is slightly more The real answer and the the slightly more serious one in the terms of, like, is uh, Nat Turner in Jerusalem by Nathan Allen Davis. That was at New York Theatre Workshop earlier this fall.
1: Is that for empathy or for punishment?
3: um, It is for (laughs) empathy because I think that if you watch that play the right way... Um, you can learn a lot about yourself and people who disagree with you through what you think about Nat Turner as a historical figure. Because I, one of the things I love about that play is that if you go in thinking that Nat Turner was tantamount to t- a terrorist, then you will have your assumptions challenged. If you go into there thinking that Nat Turner was a saint, you will have your assumptions challenged. And I liked that because it's a small and very direct play. It's a two-hander. Um, I liked the economy of having your expectations complicated um, in that play.
0: Gosh, Jack, I really have so much to say about that, but...
4: <laughs> what do you mean? I don't
0: think we have time to... Uh,
4: you, didn't, right. you didn't listen
0: to us talk about it in eternity. No,
1: I didn't.
5: Yeah, mm-hmm. it's okay.
1: That's why I asked the question <laughs> that I
5: asked. <laughs> Awkward silence. Wow, this
3: it? is... I Sorry, I dude. guess I'll go I'll go back and listen to the episode.
5: You should have been on the episode. It would have been a great, great... Like, I don't agree with you. Uh, What's the
0: next question?
1: <laughs> what show is entirely not what you expected... But was thrilling and thoroughly enjoyed it anyway.
0: Who's up? Liz, you are. Me. Oh, yeah. okay. So I was told by Nicole
2: that I should really go see Ross and Rachel at 5090s, Fifty Nine, And I thought, okay, well, you know, I trust her judgment. It sounds interesting. And I took one of my really good friends uh, who is not a theater person, but loved Friends as a show. And I thought, well, I told her, I was like, I don't really know that much about it, but it's called Ross and Rachel and I'm guessing it's about friends. And she was like, great, fantastic. So we like did brunch and we got, (laughs) it was like wonderful. We went and saw Ross and Rachel. Whoa. It was it was incredible, and I loved it, I, and I like made Jack cancel things to go see it. And
3: I'm so glad you did, because yeah, I had I mean, the same it was, experience. It
2: was fantastic, but I spent half the time when we came out of the theater going, oh my gosh, that was incredible. Oh my God, I am so sorry. <laughs> I am so... Because it gets real dark real fast, and it uses this sort of television romance, the will-they-won't-they they structure of friends to really explore like the way relationships can fade and change and evolve and keeping up appearances. And it was fascinating and I loved the show, but oh man, it was not what I thought it was. And and yet...
3: Dramaturgically consistent with that sitcom, like yeah. there, nothing. It didn't take like the concept of Ross and Rachel and like st- like make up its own narrative. It, I mean, it it, it sort of does, but like it's consistent with the characterization of those people on that show, which was mind blowing to me. Yeah, and should also add that faithful Ro- to the show. Ross
2: and Rachel are played by one
0: woman. Right. Cool, David.
1: I said the woodsman, which is a play that I loved and this may be a case i saw it very early on before people were talking about it and i was like okay it's like you know someone trying to capitalize on wicked with another like prequel to the wizard of oz sort of thing and i was totally unprepared for just the beauty of a mostly wordless play movement piece puppetry piece that was still such effective storytelling um like it wasn't wasn't really abstract at all even though it sounds like all those things would lend themselves to abstraction was just it was like everything that theater and it's like essence does really well and I was so enchanted by it and it's like an hour long which is perfect um so that that was great and even though it is now closed you can still uh they filmed it and you can see it on broadway hd
5: and the puppetry is amazing
6: yes i'm gonna repeat um go with the repeat answer and say do it again when i read the press release i was like i have no idea what they're taking me to but after i saw it and it combined everything from like prince to egyptian gods to like those amazing flower suits i'm like wherever this guy wants to take me he can blindfold me put me in chains and i'll follow him like go for (laughs) it
3: It, it's worth saying that like anytime because we've named two of his shows uh that came out this year anything that will davis directs your, your, your expectations are going to be subverted. Will Davis directed both Duat and uh, Men on Boats. Um, and so, yeah, the, the subversion is, is Will's middle name.
4: Yep.
5: Keep your eye on him. He is uh, the next hot thing. Okay. For me, it was actually, I, Maximo convinced me to see this show. Which, it, which is the Holler Sessions by Frank Boyd that played at Coil, at, as part of the Coil Festival in January because it, has th- it combines things that I don't like, <laughs> which is one person shows, jazz, <laughs> and white men talking to me. <laughs> 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 and yet... Yeah, such a good time because he just makes you feel enthusiastic for something that i don't really feel enthusiastic about and so granted i don't listen to jazz right now but i i really enjoy hearing him talk about it and that's it and that's yeah you know, that's a gifted performer right there so good kudos
0: to him deep you have made my day <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for that answer jack
3: My answer is Oh Earth by Casey Llewellyn, uh, which was a show that was done at uh, Here Arts Center and was sort of presented to me as a riff on Our Town. And that is true, but it is also a deconstruction, a criticism, a shellacking of that play, as well as maybe the greatest love letter to that play I've ever seen. Not to mention that it also includes special uh, From the Grave appearances by early uh, trans activists uh, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. Not to mention that a key part of it takes place on Ellen DeGeneres' talk show. And and on and on and on. And it was these weird disparate elements that is one of the best plays I saw this year. Um, And I was delightfully subverted at every turn by its condemnation and love for theater.
0: Wonderful. Okay. This may require some previous research, but what was your favorite line of a show you saw this year and why, David?
6: I told you I don't have this.
1: Oh, <laughs>
6: yeah. So it's my okay. turn. My, the one that's been haunting me the most was Touch Me, It's So Easy to Leave Me, a song by Leona Lewis as Grisabella in The Cat's Revival. I am, I am kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god! If you all could only see our faces! <laughs> wow,
4: that is bold.
2: <laughs> Strong choices from Jose. That is my favorite thing
6: that has happened today. You don't have to sing anymore. That was great. Okay. Well, well, officially, I guess that one was it. But the unofficial one was actually a line that Mary Beth Peel's character says in Dangerous Liaisons. I don't know how to pronounce a French name, so I'm sorry. Uh, and she's talking to one of the characters, and she's this woman like she's the oldest character in the play and she's talking to a younger woman who's like complaining about how the world's bullshit for women. And she tells her what surprises me the most is how little the world has changed. And yes, I mean, yes.
0: Amazing. Because I also picked a line from that play. So I'm going out of order. So the leads in this revival on Broadway are Janine McTier and Leah Shriver And most people are probably familiar with it because of the movie version. But briefly, if you don't know, it's a really rapey play. There's a literal pussy grabbing scene. I saw it the week after Trump's sexual assault video came out. It was so heavy and so much to take in that moment. And so I'm kind of not surprised that it's not doing super well because I just think it's like the wrong moment for this play. But there's this finale scene where these two leads are having a fight and the lead female played by Janet McTeer, the queen, she is refusing to uphold her end of the bargain which is essentially to sleep with the male lead because he has done something at her recommendation. And they're going back and forth and he is essentially delivering her an ultimatum and he says... Yes or no, it's up to you, of course. I will merely confine myself to remarking that a no will be regarded as a declaration of war and a single word is all that's required. And she says, all right, and then there's this long, long pause, and then full-throated, she just screams, war! And it is so fucking amazing. I mean, it is like the single greatest line delivery I think I've ever seen on stage. And I just, now, anytime anyone asks me any question that's an option, like, white or wheat bread? Should I turn left or right? I just want to scream, like, war!
4: Like, that's <laughs> my
0: response to all questions now. Post-Trump, I'm just, I am I feel like there's a lot of conflict, and that is my re- that is how I feel about life right now. So thank you, Janet McTeer. Okay, I skipped deep.
5: Oh, I don't have anything. I don't remember lines very well. Sorry, okay, guys. Jack.
3: The last, uh, I have two. The last line of uh, the third and final uh, Gabriel play that is uh, at the public, which is called Women of a Certain Age. Um, the last line of that play in, in a post-Trump world was uh, fantastic. I won't spoil it because you should see it. Um, and then, but my real favorite one—oh, you're
0: keeping your line a secret?
3: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, wow. it's the,
0: the words, because
3: the words—because if I said them to you, the words themselves aren't remarkable, but in the context of the play, they made <laughs> me—they made me, me want to cry.
0: Oh, really? We can't give a spoiler alert, and then you can tell us.
3: Oh, um, I guess I can just—the the words simply are: "Are you done yet?" And. But the, it's the I won't tell you the context the of moment. it. I yeah. See. Okay. Um, but then the other, the real one, which is a line I I've I first heard in a reading of this play years ago, and that I still think about once a month is, "This is New Jersey, motherfuckers come out the womb sucking on disco fries," <laughs> which is a line from Ironbound by Martina Mayoke. I, I think disco about that line fries. all the time.
2: What are disco fries? They're fr- they're, it's they're, like American
3: poutine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh.
2: it, with cheddar cheese and gravy. I just, no, there's
3: something about the cadence of that line that I love. Motherfuckers come out the womb sucking on disco. I just love the word choice. Mm. Uh, I, I don't know. I just love that line.
2: Delightful. Nice. Um, I'm gonna go back to Vietgone because we keep bringing that up because it's the one that my friends and I keep quoting, which is "a splish splash taking a bath." Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 because, yeah. So there's this whole conceit. And, like, honestly, my favorite part is when we talk about the favorite lines. Is just the way they handle the. Americans trying to speak Vietnamese in that show, which is to just fill them full of weird American uh, similes and word choices. So they're just like, mm, you know, cheeseburger, yellow banana face, yeah. and like that's it. And <laughs> cheeseburger, <don't>... slavery. <laughs> cheeseburger
3: slavery. Cheeseburger
2: slavery. <laughs> and they're just Nixon. And so he uses splish <laughs> splash taking <laughs> a bath to imply that like. Oh, yeah, no, your boat's totally gone, everyone died. She's like, you know, splash, splash
4: taking a bath. And
2: you're like, what? what? <laughs> what <is that? laughs> so it's just it was a great conceit in the play that doesn't really get any explanation, but you get it immediately, and it is so effective, and it is never not funny. Um, so you know, split splash taking a bath. That's my Me Love Princess Awesome Happy. Yeah, me love Princess <laughs> Awesome Happy. Yellow banana face translator. <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed
1: with everyone's memory. <laughs> I love a good line.
0: I could literally only pick one word.
4: <laughs>
1: I mean, listen, if, if song lyrics count, I probably could do song lyrics.
0: I'm going to do
3: something next year. This is another thing that, like, rather than, like, putting, like, playbills on, like, social media, which I do sometimes, is is um, to put my favorite quote from a play of the day because I'll inevitably have seen something that day. I just I want to start doing that and collect them all. I like that. Mm-hmm. I, like
4: yeah, that I
5: like that idea. And it'll be good for next year's podcast when you have to think of a line.
1: It's funny. I tend to go on Tumblr and do quotes from plays when I read them. So I looked back at that for this, but I realized it was only plays that I read and not plays that I saw because I'm afraid of misquoting them or I don't know.
5: Oh, I got one now. Oh, you, you, my friends,
0: are fucked from the trump card. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next question. What is the show or moment at the theater in the last year you will remember 10 years from now. David.
1: Okay, Uh, so I think this is a good one. I went to see Small Mouth Sounds and for those of you who didn't get to see it, it was in a relatively small theater. There were only three rows on each side of the playing space and the show features full frontal nudity. So you're very close to the action and when I saw it, a woman in the first row pulls out a pair of opera glasses (laughs) It was amazing.
2: No joke. I am um, So I did a show that had a, a lot of naked men, and I had people come and sit. It was a small theater like that. Some people were sitting in the third row, pulled out, uh, what do they call them? Binoculars? Yeah. Yeah, pulled out binoculars.
0: Wow. When people got naked. Bold.
1: Yeah, people are shameless. Yeah. Wow. Well, okay. okay. And also, like, you didn't need magnification to see anything okay. in the show, Like, just to be clear. <laughs> yeah. Good for the also,
5: actors. It's hard to see a penis. <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs>
6: So I'm going to go with, again, West Side Story at the Knockdown Center, because uh, just to give you a little context, building up for the exact moment that I think I'm going to remember until I die, probably. So uh, Carney Hall had been working on something called the Summer Project for a year before these performances took place. and Basically, they were using West Side Story to teach uh, kids all over the city and all the boroughs about musical theater and about West Side Story in particular, which I think is how all kids should be educated, right? Like West Side Story and Bernstein and Sondheim. But anyway.
5: And they also wrote their own songs too yeah. inspired and poems inspired by it. So it's teaching them about, about self-expression by using West Side Story.
6: Yeah. So like one of the things was that some of the kids at some point would become a part of the performance, the official performance of the, the show. Some of them were uh, playing supporting characters and some of them were in this, and this is the moment, this massive choir of over like a hundred kids from all over the city that joined the lead characters to sing somewhere while holding candles and yeah if i could cry which i i've tried but i can't if i could cry that would have been the moment that would have like murdered me like i would have drowned yeah i would have drowned everyone in that space so yeah
5: Yeah, that's also part of why I I want more people to see it, just because, like, just to have, like, kind of like the public works thing of bringing community together around an event, and I think that's that's just so valuable, and it doesn't really get done enough. The community isn't brought in for the theater, and so, anyhow, what was the question?
0: A moment at the theater that you'll remember 10 years from now.
5: Oh, uh, a giant penis balloon at Taylor.
3: <laughs> <laughs> mine too. That's actually mine too.
0: <laughs> and scru- that is the
5: color of the American flag. Just like floating down from the ba- from the balcony on- onto my head. It now, was it was lovely. I While Heroes is playing by David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I had a different read on that, which is that I was so sure, and I still think that that was the Puerto Rican flag on on that giant inflatable penis. The the thing that I, that's also mine, by the way, um, and that's just because of, I it was coming straight at me, and uh, Kev Barry, who I had met like that day, and was like, and our first reaction, this was like how many hours into this 24 hour show, that it was coming straight for us, there was no way we weren't gonna get hit in the face by the giant inflatable Puerto Rican penis, <laughs> And Kevin and I just held each other like <laughs> like like in the disaster movie when the tsunami is coming and the, you know, you're going to die. So you just hold you hold that person like we're going to do this together. And then it got deflected. and I was like, I'm so glad we had that moment. Oh, I have. By the way, I also wanted to go back to the last question because I thought of another line that I love just because it, it feels right. And that is in Party People, which is the line. This is America. Learn to speak Spanish. I didn't touch the table.
1: Yep, very close. I got Very
3: close.
0: oh i thought you were applauding the line no that's an amazing line i haven't seen that play but that sounds amazing mine is also from the taylor Mack show it is the seven o'clock hour marching band just sitting in the audience and hearing a banging outside the you know front doors to the theater and in walks this amazing marching band and then that is followed by the you know Tremendous round of applause that I talked about on the episode where it just felt like we were all like powering one another to proceed for another five hours. It's not like it was the end, but we were just so exhausted, but we were going to make it together and we were going to power Taylor through with our own applause. I'll just, I'll never forget the combination of those events at that moment in that production. So... Maybe this is kind of
2: a cheat because I had a really hard time coming up with something. But I was just thinking, looking at my big list of plays, um, how much I love visiting year after year. Too much light makes the baby go blind and the neo-futurists. I think that's such a special New York theater institution that I'm always telling people to go to. I go once or twice a year. I love it. And it's something that I, I talk about constantly to people. Um, I'm just I'm so enchanted with it and now that I've seen that they're having some issues and they're pulling the rights for Chicago and and Greg Allen is having some some of his own issues and I was so sad to think that there's a community that is losing something that has brought me so much joy since I've lived in New York and I guess that kind of made me realize how much I love that show and how much I think about those pieces and, and that community
0: Um, over the years so yeah next question what was the best piece of theater you saw outside New York City this year I don't know if everyone will have an answer for this but I think we're at Jose
6: by far come from away which I saw at Ford's Theater in Washington and it's coming to Broadway in the spring of next year get tickets like that show will be huge like it sells out everywhere it goes and it's actually it's very sad because it is I mean it's it's great but it's very sad because it is a show about hope, and it's what we need right now. It's a show about uh, what happened in Gander uh, the days after 9-11, where like thousands of people whose flights were diverted found themselves in Newfoundland, in like the tiniest town ever, being welcomed by like seven thousand, I think, or I don't know, like five thousand people who lived there and who suddenly had to accommodate people from all over the world who didn't share languages, who were panicked, they didn't know why, we're, why they were there, they didn't know what was going on. And the result is this just beautiful celebration of like we're the kind of human beings that I think we all should aspire to be. So when it comes to Broadway, go see it a million times if you can.
3: Yeah, Salton Forge Theater as well. And it's such a, it's, it's a beautiful show. I'm excited that it's coming
5: here. Deep? Um, I'm, I'm going to tell everyone listening that at some point in your life, you must go to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival and see all of the things that they are producing. Because they're, they're the biggest, uh, they're one of the oldest uh, regional theaters in the country, and they produce in rep all year long, from January to um, October when it starts getting cold. And it's like, they do such good work. Just great plays, and also like and di- and they have with diverse voices in them. Like they've co- they commissioned and world premiered the following plays: Sweat by Lynn Nottage, All the Way by Robert Sh- Robert Schenken, Uni- Party People by Universes. Like they are bringing, like they are telling the, the stories of America, and that's what's coming to New York right now. It's like mo- it's mostly. Oregon Shakespeare Festival shows, so you should go because it's kind of like Brigadoon, and it's in the <laughs> middle of nowhere, and and it's just the it's just a town where the theater is a jewel piece, and everything everything around it, restaurants, is meant to serve the theater and its audiences, and so you you it's just it's so good it's, it's amazing I love it so much anyhow. So the best thing that I saw this year was outside of New York was the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. A lot I'll, I'll pick one cuz there was a lot, which is a uh, Roe by Lisa Loomer, which is about the the Roe versus Wade case and that legalized abortion nationwide and how the plaintiff the plaintiff and the attorney I, how they came together to work on it and then how their paths diverged after. So it was just especially in the climate where, you know, women's rights are being infringed upon and attacked. Like, we need a work like this just to remind ourselves that it's not, this isn't in the past. It's, hap- it's still happening, and for us to reconcile with our history, a part of history that really isn't taught very much. So, so it, was, it was great, and it's coming to Washington, D.C., Arena Stage in January, and it's probably going to come to New York at some point, so.
3: Yeah, it's a beautiful play. Mm-hmm. Jack, the best thing I saw abroad um, this year <laughs> was uh, a little show that I I just decided to attend like like literally a couple hours before. I was in Seattle a couple weeks ago um, and I saw something called Power from the Mouths of the Oppressed, which is a traveling theater performance community concept uh, that has been spearheaded by uh, Patrice Cullors, who's one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter. And basically what she does is she goes into cities, mostly cities at this point, um, just happened to be Seattle that week and she finds from communities of color people who have stories that they want to share about the ways in which they have uh, come up against the criminal justice system in various ways and uh, none of them none of the, none of them are performers they' uh, they range in gender and age dramatically and basically she goes in there and like helps them sort of almost like like a moth like you know like take their experiences and help them develop it into a story before an audience and then they perform it For the first time in front of an audience of people. And I just found that event to be so healing and important. There's been a lot of different types of theatrical models that have engaged with Black Lives Matter in in variously profound ways. This to me was the most profound because it was not through the voice of a playwright, it was not through the voice of an actor, it was a voice from the community. And it's particularly striking to be to see it in a place that was called the Langston Hughes Cultural Center in Seattle, one of the most aggressively and successfully gentrified cities in the United States. And I, I was just, I was blown away by it. And I was particularly blown away by, uh, the audience was about half uh, white and half people of color. And the first thing that Patrice said before the performance start was, this is not an exercise in consuming black pain. And you need to watch it with that in mind. And I thought that was like, oh my god, I I want someone to say that before so many shows I've seen this year mm-hmm, because it's because sometimes it can feel that way that that's why we're here. And I, I just I was blown away by it. And um, so if it comes if if uh, Powers uh, from the Mouths of the Oppressed comes to a city near you, please go see it.
0: The thing I wanted to mention from outside of New York City is the Fusebox, Fest- Fusebox Festival in Austin. It's like a mini. January Festival, it's like a little mini coil in Austin. It's 4 days in April. The upcoming one is April 12th through the 16th. It's local, national, international performing artists the at the top of their game. You will see people there that were at the previous and at future January Festivals. It's a, the programming there is excellent. It's totally free. All the events are free. And high-quality stuff, super fun. It's great to get out of New York in April because it's not quite warm here, but it is definitely warm there. I'm hoping to go again next year. I think the quality of the stuff there is great. They also do a great engagement series uh, along the lines of my goal for the upcoming year. They do great panel discussions in the mornings, often over waffles, which are delicious. Anytime you can combine food with your theater, I highly recommend it. So if anyone happens to be going to that next year, please let me know. I didn't see anything.
1: I'm going to talk about Merrily, We Roll Along at the Wallace Annenberg Center in Los Angeles. She's a new production directed by Michael Arden, who is now their uh, artist in residence there. It's just a gorgeous production with a great cast. It, I don't think it quite solves the problems of Merrily, We Roll Along, but it makes the good parts better than I've ever seen them before. And it's got a, a concept to it that I just thought was was gorgeous uh, to use a jack word and um
4: the jack word uh, yeah
1: all right um (laughs) and uh, i there's a lot of new york talent in it so it wouldn't shock me if it comes here i saw i saw the very first preview i don't know if it's been reviewed yet uh i know if you're in la i think you still have a chance to see it so uh i'm eagerly waiting to hear how the critics receive it because i would love to see more life for it
0: Okay, does anybody want to fess up to leaving any shows early? I will say...
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know which ones you left.
0: (laughs) That I left two shows at intermission this year, which is not the first time I've ever done that, but it was the first time I've ever... No, it's the second time. I take that back. Uh, Anyway, those shows were plenty at The Public and Rancho Viejo at Playwrights Horizons, both super boring i i would
1: have left the golden girl show if it had an intermission <laughs> but it did not so i took a nap that's that's actually I, i've never left a show in intermission since college but uh, i'm very good at, at putting myself to sleep if i want to leave i feel like it's socially inappropriate
2: anyone else i i, I oh, go ahead. oh no i didn't i have nothing
3: I, was gonna say, I I. I'm proud that I never have in my life uh, left a short intermission, though I've wanted to many times. But I want to say that my one of my favorite things in life is when I watch people who are clearly a, going to leave an intermission, and the 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 subterfuge, and like they suddenly become like spies, and they're like you know they get the code, but they don't want to make it look like they're they're trying really hard to be inconspicuous. But I see you every time, and one of my favorite things happens here. I will not say who this was um, or what show it was, but I was uh, working late at the public one night and uh, a dear friend of mine, uh, I caught her leaving one of the public theater shows at intermission. And I was fine with it, I didn't care, but her trying really hard not to like be caught in that moment was maybe that's my favorite theatrical moment of the year because she clearly was leaving. I was like, "Oh, what are you doing here? Goes, oh, I'm here to see this show," and I'm like, "Great!" And she just kind of slowly walked out the
4: I just
0: <laughs> loved
5: it.
3: I had it's to check.
0: shameful I t- slinking. Off. I know this. Oh, I on, and I texted her an hour later, down been like, "I, the I don't... shame barrier for this." Yeah,
3: no, because there are people who are totally shameless about leaving. They're just like, like I like I said, like I was at the encounter last night, and about every twenty minutes, uh, someone left. The theater, and that's the show Two Hours No Intermission. It's not
0: okay to leave mid-show.
3: And that Mm -hmm. was like, and that was completely shameless. I was kind of impressed by that.
0: Bad people. Anyone else? Okay, good. Let's move along. What made you cry at the theater in 2016? Deep.
5: Well, it's going to be Viet Gone (laughs) because, one, I don't cry at the theater, but when I do, it's because other people are crying around me. And so it's kind of like sneezing. (laughs) So. Which, you know, not cool guys, not cool at all. But, and also because, it, it, specifically I cried at the very last scene in Viet where where the father mm. is telling his son that Vietnam was more than the war and like he as a person was more than the years that he fought. Which, it's an obvious thing to say, except no one ever says it, no one ever really realizes it. And also, my dad has had this conversation with me so many times growing up and so it was one of those things where, oh shit, you just put a conversation between me and my parents. On the stage, and that never happens to me. So it was amazing. Yeah, I I, I sobbed like a child.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Jack,
3: well, the uh, the aforementioned uh, performance I saw this past uh, week of Noise by Cesar Alvarez uh, was just uh, slang. I would also uh, Runaways was a really profound experience for me. I just felt really because that was the the first show that I was in when I was a kid when I was an actor, and I, I did and 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 the that doing that show completely changed and has informed my theater life since then and yeah those are the those are the the big ones for me
0: for me i cried quite heavily at josie long something better at the beginning of it she talks about the election and she's really warm and understanding and empathetic and consoling and the tears started to fall, and I could not stop them <laughs> for a while. Um, that show is really beautiful. I'm glad you raised it earlier, Jose.
2: Um, like I said, I cried a lot at the theater this year. I mentioned Waitress. Uh, oh, Color Purple. Actually, during Seeley's Pants, because she was so happy. I was happy for her, and I cried. School of Rock, because I was so proud of those children. They're so talented. Yeah, I was like, look at them, they're living their dream. Cries. And then um, a special shout out to the entire Playwrights Horizon season this year, um, which I feel like every show I saw there ended with people caring for a loved one who was dying, uh, which is hard. Like, please, Playwrights, I love you so much. Please stop doing those shows. I can't. I feel like I've, I've said this like three
1: hundred times this year on this podcast about how like enough with the fucking dying family member shows. Like I know, we and get like, it,
2: and I know I'm being <laughs> manipulated by. It. Like sometimes it wasn't even good, but I was still sad about it. <sighs>
4: I think it's easy a a target. List. I
2: yeah. am. I am. I'm an easy <laughs> target. Like I, I cry. I cry when I'm happy. I cry when I'm sad. I cry at everything.
1: Yeah, I think I have a shorter list of plays I didn't cry during. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I, I was surprised seeing Hamilton again like two years after I saw it the first time and after and like after the album and after really knowing the outs of that show. Like, oh my God, it still made me saw, so- like, like not just like, like a little bit of tears but like sob hysterically it's even when i know what's coming that surprised me and the same with falsettos which i've seen three times in this production alone and many times before and
6: every time it just like stomps on your heart without a doubt the prize of the bite-sized apple pie said waitress they're like 15 bucks <laughs> it's like a spoonful <laughs> And it was cold. (laughs) Oh, that's unacceptable. Wow. Yeah, Yeah. that's
0: it. Oh, God. That's funny. (laughs) Okay, the final question is who saw the most shows? Which I do not think is much of a surprise, although there might be some competition from Jose. You see a ton of shows. I guess. Do you know how many you saw this year? Like,
6: as of right now, I've seen 244. Wow.
0: (laughs) So so it's Jack. Where are you at, Jack?
3: Uh, by the end of the year, I'll probably be around 320, which is what I was at last year. Wow. Um, I actually don't know. I keep a running list on my phone, so full tight.
0: <laughs> don't worry. It's not like we're recording this conversation and people are at home like, with shit to do? Or to- uh, <laughs> well,
3: people in this the, um, room
0: have places to be. At the
3: end of uh, today, it'll be 288. Wow.
0: Oof. All right. Well, title goes to you. Okay. Thank you, everyone around the table. Thank you to our thank listeners. You Lindsay. Thanks, guys. It's been a tremendous year. We will be two weeks off after this for the holidays, which I personally don't celebrate. But, you know, everybody else is taking time off. And then we'll be back stronger than ever with the January festivals. Cannot yep. wait. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Lindsay. Uh, you know, listeners. I don't know if you know how much work goes into making this listenable for you. It's not just us sitting around the table. Lindsay then spends literally hours editing this so that we sound a little bit less stupid and so that you don't have to listen to us click in your ears and swallow with like the sound of moist the table. And, and 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 then you know writing the show descriptions and getting it all up online and all it, it's it's no small task and we very much appreciate that you put that in for for us and for the listeners
0: well thank you david and getting love us in the you. room together Yes, yes. yes, yes. So it is an amazing collection of people we have here i love you all thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Maxmu theater and performance podcast If you have questions, comments, or opinions that differ from our own, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us all on Twitter. Maximu is at Maximu. Jack is at Jack in Brooklyn. Deep is at Deep Thought. Jose is at Jose Solis Mayen. David is at It's D. Levy. Liz is at Miss Liz Richards. And I'm at Lindsay Barons. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, we have merch. You can buy coffee mugs, tote bags, and stickers with your favorite Maximu-isms on them. You can get to the store via Maximu.com. All proceeds go to helping the podcast improve our sound quality. We'll be back Wednesday, January 4th, with a preview of New York City's January Theater Festivals. See you then.
4: Theatrical media.